thank you. How about you? You're up, Matt, huh? you're here. Are you nervous? No, I don't think so. Not too much to be nervous about. If I told you you get to preach a sermon today, now then you could become a little nervous. But if I said, oh, you, you, you both have the sermon today, then I said, then you could become nervous.
All right. Good morning and Happy New Year. We welcome you on this uh, somewhat bleak winter morning with the beautiful lights here of Epiphany Sunday. We hope you've had a wonderful New Year. Little spoiler alert in case you are lacking in resolutions for this new year, Bruce is going to supply some for you in the sermon. So. We have a number of announcements here today, so, um, but before we get started, we would love to have you join us for fellowship after the service in Fellowship Hall. Please sign the pew pads, uh, and especially if you have any prayer requests, uh, you can enter those in the uh, offer to plate. Um, Jack, I believe you are going to lead off. Morning, folks. You know, it's hard to believe we're already into the fourth day of the new year, and it's even harder to think that our Christmas concert was three weeks ago. I can't believe it. And uh, I would be confident that uh, those of you who were fortunate enough to hear the concert in this sanctuary, perhaps if you kind of think back, some of those tunes are still going through your head. I know a lot of them are traditional. But moving ahead, our fifth Optimist program will be next Friday the 9th, and uh, it'll be the first of three luncheons with social time starting at 1230. That's the change of the usual time at 12 o'clock. But uh, after several meetings of the committee, we decided if we met at 1230, we won't have uh, parking problems with the good ladies who are getting their kitties from the cooperative nursery school. So it should run smoothly. It's a bring a sandwich and an uh, appropriate table setting. We'll provide dessert and beverage. There'll be a charge of one buck to cover the cost of dessert. And a non-perishable item, as usual, for the food covered is in order. The, the, uh, the program will be presented by a lady named Vicki Prophet, who has been here before and... Uh, She's the director of the Fairport Library and a historian and worked with our town and village historian, Audrey Johnson. Uh, Not too long ago, they collaborated putting together the book simply titled uh, Pittsford, a history tome. Vicki's topic will be Mary Jewett Telford, a Civil War nurse, a little-known Civil War nurse, Uh, Please come, bring a friend, and hear the compelling story of this lesser-known Civil War nurse. It'll be time well spent, and while she died in 1906, her legacy still lives with her nomination for the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1910. More details are found in your uh, good news in January, and there is a blurb in the bulletin. Thank you very much. I'm sorry I took 10 minutes of your talk. Noel, but uh, carry on, regardless. Thanks, Jack. Noel. Oh. 
Jack, I will ask the worship committee to assign a Sunday in the summer for lay elder preaching, and you can have a full 20 minutes. You may have already gone to see Unbroken, or certainly you may well have read the book. But if you have not seen the film, I invite you to join me at 4.30 at Coley's, the little diner to the left of the Pittsford Cinema. Or if you want to pig out on popcorn, you can show up at 6 and we'll watch the unbroken film from 6 to about 8.40. And uh, if it turns out to be too stressful for you, I will join you at Blue and we'll have a Chardonnay. Having grown up in Southern California and West L.A., I can tell you that Torrance was hardly on our minds. Torrance is the community next to the LAX airport. Nobody would want to live there today. But Louis Zamperini was raised there and went to SC, a great shame because he should have been at UCLA did extremely well in the Olympics and had a harrowing experience in World War II and very inspirational. And if you've been reading your mail or the bulletin, you'll know that uh, he was an elder at Hollywood Presbyterian Church, uh, which I find very interesting. And there's more to this man's story than appears in the film. And we will do a follow-up event and uh, let you know more about Louis Zamperini and his inspirational life. Thank you. Um, One more announcement about Zumba. Hi, my name is Amy Mangieri. My name is Melanie Jones. We bring Zoom together. (laughs) Zumba is a fitness format that incorporates Latin and other world rhythms in a party atmosphere. It is both workout and party. You need not be a dancer, and it is adaptable for all fitness levels. Two left feet will not be left out. Zumba is coming to First Presbyterian Church at a discount to Presbytery members. This is the first ever intergenerational Zumba class in the area. Um, So you can bring your whole family, kids, parents, grandparents, and you can all dance and have fun together. Or just bring yourself. Family members are optional. The The party format means that you need not be fitness-driven or a dyed-in-the-wool gym enthusiast. (laughs) So please race on over to see us in the fellowship hall following the service today. We'll give you some more information, answer any questions, and you can sign up. We're going to be starting this coming Saturday, 9 a.m. Thank you. By the way, they're here all week and remember your servers. <laughs> uh, one other, uh, another minor announcement. Um, the, the hymn 342 in your uh, 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 
bulletin here should be 347. And then one last, if you have candles, we could use those. If you could get those out to the, um, to the lobby there with uh, Craig. I believe that's it. So, Bruce, would you lead us in worship? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Glory to God in the heights. Praise God all angels. Praise God all sun and moon. Praise God all you shining stars. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, the will of all. God is with us. Christ is born. Hallelujah. Let us sing in verses 1 through 4 of the first Noel.
Please pray with me. Holy God, we come before you in the early hours of a new year. As fresh with possibility as the new baby, we come to worship as our Savior. Overwhelm us with hope and gladness today. Open us to a brand new reality, to the way things might be at maybe. Transform us into vibrant witnesses as we proclaim the good news that is ancient, yet, yet always, always and ever new. Amen. Amen. Friends, look around you. It's Christmas tide. We still have a few more days of this glorious season before Epiphany. And you see all the lights. But I'm not talking about the candles. I'm talking about you. You are God's lights in the world. And all of us as God's lights have something that we need to say to God. So together with Elena Travis's leadership, let us use this bulletin prayer and confess together. O Lord, God in the presence of the Holy Holy Child, you have have spoken spoken to us with great great tenderness and we have answered with callousness. We confess that we have understood and refuse to call to deal tenderly with one another, to be peacemakers in the earth, to let justice roll down as waters and slake the thirst of righteousness in your world. Forgive us, we pray, and let a new world burn in our lives now as once happened in a village stall. We pray in the name of the child who is your Christ and our Lord, Jesus. Amen. And that light of the world who gave us life for us reminds us that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. As you know, Bruce and I have a great fondness for having others in the chancel with us, and so I welcome our confirmands, Alexis Finkbeiner and Elena Travis, to our worship leadership this first Sunday of the month. I surprised Ed Oliver in the 8.30 worship service. For those of you who are deacons, you might remember that he led a devotion for us, talking about Ecclesiastes 3 a few months ago. And because that is our reading for today, he read it in the 8.30 worship service. I was grateful for that. So if you ever have an inclination, friends and want to come up and share your talents in the chancel, do let us know. We have these words from the prophet Kohelet, writing to us of the timelessness of God's love, and I invite you to hear God's word to you. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. 
Time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain have their workers from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of their toil. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. invite children to join me up here in the chancel. We've kind of moved the um, Advent calendar here over to the side a little bit. It's closer to the Christmas tree. And there was something that we were following all through Advent that is seemingly missing today. Any idea what's missing that we've been following all through Advent? What is not in sight? You think you know, Wes? The wise men, that's right. I found them. They are here in the pulpit. They were getting closer and closer to the manger. Here are the wise men. And... um. I looked at them, and they kind of look like kings. We don't really know if the wise men were kings. I know this. They brought gifts for baby Jesus, and 
To the best of my knowledge, they took them out of treasure chests, but they had not wrapped them. Now, do you know why the wise men didn't wrap the gifts? Two basic reasons. They were wise, and they were men. We don't know how many uh, wise men there were. We always know that they brought three gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Strange. I wouldn't be too thrilled. I hope you got something nicer than, well, a little gold wouldn't have been too bad, but frankincense and myrrh. Uh, You know, one is kind of like... um, one is kind of like a perfume, and the other is kind of like a spice for burying people. It's kind of strange gifts. But ultimately, legend says that those were all used in the ministry of Jesus, and so they were very appropriate at the time. A lot of people think that Christmas kind of ends about the time you get to Christmas Day. I don't know when you take things down at your house, But our tradition was nothing got undecorated until 12 days after Christmas, which would be January 6th, which is the traditional day when the church celebrates the coming of the wise men. And so we always kept things bright and light until that time. Well, Epiphany is officially on Tuesday, but we're celebrating it today. Let's give thanks to God for this. Lord God, we give you thanks for this Epiphany Day, a day of white and light and your visit and the opportunity we have to come to your manger again, bringing these gifts. May we be as wise as those men of old. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're going off to Sunday school, hope you have a great time uh, and a blessed new year. This is a special day in the life of the church, a day when we ordain and install new officers. So I'm going to invite all of those to be installed, and if they haven't been ordained, either elders or deacons, to come here to the front of the chancel. Gather right here would be good. There are different gifts, but it is the same Spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving God, but it is the same Lord who is served. God works through different people in different ways but it's the same God who achieves purpose through them all. Each one is given a gift by the Spirit to use it for the common good, and together we are the body of Christ, individually members of that body. Though we have different gifts, together we are a ministry of reconciliation led by the risen Christ. We work and pray to make the church useful in the world. We call men and women 
to faith, so that in the end every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Within our common ministry, some members are chosen for particular work, such as teaching elders or ruling elders or deacons. And in ordination, we recognize these special ministries, remembering that our Lord Jesus said, Whoever among you wants to be great must become the servant of all. And if he wants to be first among you, must be the slave of all. So we have these questions for you. Because God has called you by the voice of the church to serve Jesus Christ in a special way. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of the world and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you, do you? Will you be instructed by the confessions of our church and led by them as you lead the people of God? Will you? Will you be a deacon or an elder in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and guided by these confessions? Will you? Do you endorse our church's government? Will you honor its discipline? Will you be a friend among your comrades in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Do you and will you? Will you seek to govern the way you live by following the Lord Jesus Christ, loving neighbors, and working for the reconciliation of the world? Will you? Will you seek to serve people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, will you? For those of you who are to be elders, will you seek to be faithful elders, watching over the people, providing for their worship and instruction? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in the councils of the church, and in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ, will you? And for those of you to be deacons, Will you be faithful deacons, teaching charity, urging concern, directing people's help to the friendless and those in need? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? Now comes the more difficult part. We are going to be asking those of you who are able to kneel to kneel, and all of those who have been ordained, to come up for the laying on of hands. Those of you who have not been ordained before will be the ones to be invited to kneel. Let us all pray. 
Almighty God, in every age you have chosen servants to speak your word and lead your loyal people. We thank you for these whom you have called to serve you. Lord, we ask that you will give them special gifts to do this special work and this ministry. Fill these loving people with your Holy Spirit so that they might have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus and be faithful disciples as long as they live. So we ask, Lord, that you will bless their ministry. May it be fruitful. May it be patterned after you. And may it be a blessing, as we indeed have been blessed. We ask it all in the Master's name. Amen. Now, I invite you to stand. If you need help, I will help you up. And the scriptures say that you are all to be welcomed into the fellowship with a kiss of peace. There is one that I have no doubts here for whom that will work. And, and, and uh, more modern translations say greet one another with a hearty handshake all around. I kind of like the original uh, Greek here. And, uh, but welcome these new people to be elders and deacons. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. We're just glad to have you here. Welcome. In addition to those that we have greeted with a holy kiss, we give thanks and praise for some wonderful combinations. Mr. Murray, won't it be a joy to have Maggie serving on the diaconate with you? Oh, come on, yes, there you go, that's the answer you wanted. And Vince, to have you and Lainey serving together, what a joy. There are lots of family combinations, Vince and Lainey will be serving on session. We have combinations across boards. At times, we've had the McCready's serving on the elders and the deacons or the trustees. We've had the Thompson's serve at different times on different boards. We look forward to this opportunity to be family together, and we give thanks and praise for all of our officers this year and in years to come. Our prophetic text is taken from Isaiah. The prophet looks forward to that time when we will be star trekking and gives a hint of how that transportation might happen. I invite you to hear God's word to you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your hearts shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, and young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. 
A text for Epiphany. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I pastored a church once upon a time where just two blocks away, there was a Klingon convention at the local hotel. For several days, people dressed in costumes and makeup assorted mixtures of spandex and rubber and leather and metal were fashioned to adorn bodies which had been enhanced with pointed ears and furrowed brows and very enlarged craniums. It was galactic couture at its best. Participants spoke Klingon to each other. They gathered around models of assorted spacecraft that created a cyber world of adult play. So on Sunday, after the sanctuary was quiet and people had left, I decided to go and see for myself. I went over to the Hilton Hotel. A dark navy blue worsted suit did not mesh very well with Klingon attire. I made my way toward the men's room where I was suddenly halted by a Klingon guard with a spear who asked me for the code words which were far beyond my knowledge. He made it perfectly clear that I was not a Klingon conference participant and therefore did not have access to the men's room. I had no desire to incur the ire of this non-earthling, but my response to his command was not endearing to him. 
I just simply said, I think you better beam me up Scotty. He was not impressed. Now, I do not know a lot about Klingons, but I could see that this was rapidly emerging as a new religion complete with holy texts and words. And now my presence meant that the sacred space of the hotel had been invaded. This kind of followed the development of Star Trek. I mean, there are very serious Star Trek followers. They know all about the original. They know uh, the Wrath of Khan, the Search for Spock, the Voyage Home, the Final Frontier, and the Undiscovered Country. And then in 2013, out came a new film, Star Trek Into the Darkness. It was released. And after the crew of the Enterprise had found an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization, Captain Kirk led a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man mass weapon. But long before the movie and the popular TV series caught popular fancy, before this cellular series of science fiction became a prophecy of the use of PDAs and iBooks, there were others who went on a Star Trek. They had first seen the star in the eastern sky and they prepared to travel and follow as it moved. We speculate about their original origin, about their religious affiliation, about their professional background. Matthew suggests that they were Zoroastrians or priestly astronomers from Persia. Evidently, they were pretty well healed financially, highly educated for the time, and important enough to be able to consult with the king. Their gifts in that day were expensive and lavish. At the end of the year edition of Newsweek several years ago, an article speculated whether the guiding light was really a star or planets. Almost two dozen years ago now, David Hughes in his book, The Star of Bethlehem, came to the same conclusions. On Christmas Eve a number of years ago, I offered some boyhood reflections generated by the discovery of Gary Meckler. Now, Gary was a boyhood friend, and Gary was actually the best man at Martha's and My Wedding. Um, Gary was also the quarterback for a high school football team. Uh, he was he weighed 97 pounds, and we gave him the nickname Moose, Moose Meckler. We really lost track of Gary until Martha discovered his new book at the French Road Elementary School Library. Dr. Meckler had become professor of physics, head of the physics department and the Department of Astronomy at the University of Arizona and has been working more recently in the development of the world's largest telescope in Peru. Well, at our wedding, he didn't know where to stand. We thought about talking to the custodian to get out the Christmas star and hang it so that Gary could position himself appropriately. Gary wrote that stars tend to move and that the star seen by the wise men in Matthew's biblical account was probably a constellation of planets in the eastern sky appearing in the constellation Pisces, therefore being interpreted by Persian mystics as something unusual happening 
happening in Palestine since Pisces was the constellation of Palestine in Persian lore. We may not be the stargazers with the insight of the Magi, but there is something to be learned from these wise men as we begin our trek in a new year. It would be well for us to be a little starstruck too. They were caught by a vision and we need to discern the one God has for us. As the wise men from the east sought the Messiah, we ought to seek him. As they brought their gifts, we ought to place before God our gifts as well. And as they surrendered their worn beliefs for a new faith and opted to return home by another route, forsaking the evil Herod and his devilment, we ought to change our path for one that likewise forsakes evil. And as they wrought a new life out of the old, we ought to set our course for a new destiny, one that begins with Jesus and remains loyal. They caught a vision. I mean, we need a vision for our future. We continue to make technological advances. I mean, it seems that 4K TVs, all the rage at Best Buy this past Christmas, will become a new standard and a challenge for broadcasters. We're beginning now to see the emergence of plans for driverless automobiles, and new medicines are being released for disease and cancer. And yet, despite all of these developments, we seem to be in moral relapse. The wise men saw a star and researched its meaning for them and made plans to uncover what it might reveal. Maybe that's your need for this new year. Maybe you have a vision but lack the gumption to achieve it. Think of Abraham. By faith, says the writer to the Hebrews, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. That's okay. But to set out. These wise men have ridden across more miles for Hallmark and American greeting cards than they ever rode to Bethlehem. It was no easy trek, traveling across the wilderness for what we suspect was some 1,200 miles. It took a lot of time. But they caught a vision that the star was calling them to something important, and they persisted until they came to the place where the star stopped. Certainly God's vision for us involves satisfying service, salutatory sacrifice, and simple success. But until we search for the star and agree to follow where it guides, we're going to be stuck in the same old place with the same old routine. We need new visions here at First Presbyterian Church. We can't expect people to come to church. We've got to reach them in their cocoons of earplugs and automobile isolation booths. We'll need to revisit families and figure out how to reach them. If I describe the average American for us, 
She is 32 years old and single. The population of U.S. singles is skyrocketing. In 1970, the percentage of the U.S. population age 18 and older that were single was 32% for women and 22% of the men. By 1990, it had climbed to 40% of the women and 36% of the men. Estimates are now that in 2015, 55% of women and 48% of men in this country are single. Churches in 2015 are not measured by their seating capacity, but by their sending capacity. Our postmodern era long ago now started to witness the deprofessionalization of psychological and spiritual care. All of the baptized are to be enlisted as caregivers, elders and deacons and trustees and Stephen ministers. We'll need them all, but we will also need everyone who has been baptized to carry God's message of care and love and salvation. We may have a new architectural field. I mean, I suspect that there will become smart churches, like we have smart cards and smart cars and smart TVs and smart boards and smart houses and smart highways. We're going to need to be a little smarter in our future. One church in Tucson, Arizona, built an educational wing that included space for the next generation. It is a carpeted room, I mean, floors and walls, no furniture, only stacks and piles of different sized pillows, And members plop down on the floor and get out their Bibles and start saloning with one another. The greater challenges to us are not economics or ergonomics, but egonomics. We will need to find a way to challenge consumption modes with lives of purpose. I suppose we should be exploring improvements to our web page and taking more advantage of projection screens to be considered more up-to-date. But are there ways of observing our structure as a congregation so that we are not enslaved for institutional maintenance, but freed and empowered to do mission? Do we need a vision of something rooted in first-century theology that touches the lives of 21st-century people? A news article left on my desk by one of our members and clipped from the Wall Street Journal examined the future of churches in the U.S. In the author's view, the church has too often followed descending paths of modern culture to whatever depths it leads. Along the trails of biblical criticism has come a deconstruction of holy texts for the purpose of discrediting their status as revealed truth. Now, the clipping suggests that this vogue has been joined by campaigns to cleanse the Gospels and liturgies of anything that might offend a professor of multicultural studies. Theologian Bernard 
Reardon declares that once the Bible and other documents are stripped of anything that people might find to be offensive, any religion based upon the new text will be reduced to a mere adjunct of the surrounding culture rather than trying to challenge it. How will this work? Think about it. We'll begin to then ignore the words of Jesus, where he said things like this, But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. All of this will be lost to a people who are more eager to embrace the words retaliate and revenge. If we aren't careful, we will see our culture shift far afield from the biblical principles of Jesus to something where the police are left to protect themselves by opposing fear and intimidation and people will elect vigilante violence to express their opinions, destroying others' lives and property in the names of freedom and free speech. The Apostle Paul would say it this way, Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within that you might prove that God's will for you is good, meets all of God's demands, and moves you toward the goal of true maturity. They caught the vision, and they sought the Messiah. And we should as well. And they brought gifts. I mean, we don't know how many wise men there were. Numbers never mentioned in the Bible. We're aware that at least three gifts were presented. Carols and Christmas cards, you need to pick three, as well as legends about the Magi. Do you remember who was the first really moving religious TV personality? It was Roman Catholic, Bishop Fulton Sheen. Did you know that Bishop Fulton Sheen only ever visited Rochester once? And the Bishop of Rochester was incensed that he came not to a Roman Catholic church, but to the First Presbyterian Church of Pittsford, New York. He was invited here by the senior high youth, and he came and spoke here. And when he spoke here, he said that the gold was given to honor the kingship of Jesus, the frankincense to honor his divinity, and the myrrh to honor his humanity. I don't really know what that means. But I know they brought gifts. 
and that we should be doing the same. Actually, the gift that we are to bring is that we are to bring ourselves, for that is on the wish list of Christ. We may bring our possessions, but they will be worth less if not accompanied by our hearts and our faith and our talents and our personalities and the uniqueness that God gives to each. King Herod sent a very different kind of gift. He sent soldiers to murder all the male children of Bethlehem who were two years of age and under. Even in childhood, Jesus knew the threat of the unbelieving. Herod was paranoid and insanely jealous. He was a suspicious, insecure autocrat who did not hesitate to eliminate anyone who was a potential threat to his power. He wiped out his wife, her mother, and three of his own sons. The Roman Emperor Augustus joked that it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be Herod's son. When Herod first heard from the wise men, Matthew says that he was frightened. When they returned to their country by another way, Herod became infuriated, and so he sent his stormtroopers to conduct the slaughter. I always liked that verse. And they return to their home country by another way. I use it when I'm in Philadelphia and I'm returning home to Pittsburgh and I hear the weather report and decide that rather than take the northeast extension of the turnpike, it's better to drive to Harrisburg and come up Route 15 and I-390. And having been forewarned in a dream, he returned to his home country by another way. How do I interpret what I think these truths are? I thought maybe I've heard it differently in a country western song by Garth Brooks. Now, I don't listen to Garth Brooks a whole lot, but he made sense to me. He talks about how sometimes the gifts we want to bring are all the wrong things. His song tells a story. Let me give you the lyrics. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me, and I couldn't help think then of the way things used to be. She was the one that I'd wanted for all time. Each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if only he'd grant me this wish I wished back then, I would never ask for anything again. She wasn't quite the angel I'd remembered in my dreams. And I could tell that time had changed me in her eyes too. We tried to talk about the old days. There wasn't much we could recall. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. And as we walked away, I looked at my wife and then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. The last line in the song is this. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Actually, those who bring gifts to the Christ discover that God has gifts to give them in return, and they are not what you expect or want. Sometimes they are very generous surprises. 
They caught the vision God gave them. They sought the Messiah, promised as their king. They brought their gifts by giving themselves, and they wrought a new life for the future. And we ought to do something similar. I don't know how you came today. Driving on Route 96 or along Monroe Avenue, but if you came with bitterness and resentment and hostility and despair, I hope that in some way you're going to be able to offer those things as your gift at the manger, for even those gifts can be transformed. Then perhaps you ought to change your plan so that you'll be able to return home differently. If what you are after is first and foremost power, then you need to forget about love. If you insist on putting yourself at the center, then you just need to get ready for a lot of loneliness. If you are a gossip, do not expect people to be confidential with you. If you view life as essentially a quantitative proposition, you better keep your averages up. If you think that life is a race won by the swift, don't you ever slow down. If you think the fight goes to the strong, then don't you ever relax. If you love life in the fast lane, don't even think of setting your heart on anything that takes time. If what you seek is security, then you better forget about genuine ecstasy because you can't always have both. If you honestly believe that life is a rat race, don't be surprised if you find no dignity in it. If you're primarily interested in justice and you're not interested in mercy, don't you ever make a mistake. If you are ruthless on the way up, don't be looking for tenderness on the way down. I suggest that as you begin 2015, it would be wise to catch a different vision, to seek a Messiah, to bring gifts, to wring a new life from the old, and to change your path. Because there's hope in that. And if you think so too, there's a prayer we can use. As they offered gifts most rare at that manger rude and bare, so may we with holy joy, pure and free from sin's alloy, all our costliest treasures bring, Christ to thee, our heavenly King.
This is the Lord's table. And our Lord invites those who put their trust in him to come here for spiritual food, to be nourished by Almighty God and the gifts God gives to us. have come before to be ordained and installed, and for the sea of people who came forward, know that you have the ability to serve communion. It is this joy and privilege, and we thank each of our officers today for helping out. We have a liturgy that is responsive in our bulletin. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Gracious God, in sending Christ the light of the world, you showed us how to follow his star. We praise you that in him we became your children, baptized into your service through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for sending your prophets to light the way, for inspiring the prophet Cahelet to remind us in Ecclesiastes of the turning of the years, and for giving us the witness of the Gospels and an interpretation thereof. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. With thanksgiving, we offer you our very selves to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. And so, remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. We ask that you would accept this, our service of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives might proclaim the one crucified and risen. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread as I do, ministering in his name. And after he had blessed it, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, 
broken for you. Take and eat.
In much the same way, after the supper, our Lord and Savior took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And we're reminded that every time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we do proclaim our Lord's saving death until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God.
Carrie has actually been our clerk for the trustees this past year, and she'll be leading in prayer, but I'm going to invite those who have been trustees to come on up to the chancel, been elected trustees. We need to install you. See, we ordain uh, elders, but we install trustees. You have been given special gifts to serve the Christ. You've been chosen for a special work. Under the laws of the state of New York, you will hold and manage property and as authorized conduct business for our church. By your energy, honesty, and fairness, you will demonstrate Christian faith to those with whom you deal on our behalf. Do you promise to give the business affairs of this congregation your devoted attention, to encourage generosity, and in all your dealings to work to further the service of Jesus Christ in the world, do you. Do you, members of this congregation, receive these people as your trustees, and do you promise to support them in their work for the church, do you. Friends, we have a number of prayer requests today. We start by giving thanks to the Sartain family, Melissa and Alan, for the beautiful flowers behind me in memory and love of Donna. We also give thanks and praise that our mission team in Mission, Texas is doing well. You can check out their Facebook postings. We're also very excited that a number of individuals have been going elsewhere. Lee Fox is in Ethiopia and will return on the 10th. So we give thanks and praise for her ministries there. We're also thankful for the multitude of officers who were ordained and installed today. Much like an appliance, but we're very thankful for all of that service that God allows us to do through the work of willing hands. We also have a number of prayer requests for individuals who are updates on our prayer team. For example, Ron Pollock's brother-in-law is doing much better after his bypass surgery. (coughs) Similarly, Bob Schoen is doing well after his bypass surgery. We remain in prayer for the Travis family as Van Sr. has gone back into the hospital, and we thank God for the strength that is coming to the entire family as they rally around him. We're also in prayer for Ginny Allen, who has been in and out of the hospital and is currently in the hospital, asking for God's protection and grace over her. We're also in continuing prayer for a friend of Janice Krupp, as she has learned that the Conroe family and their daughter, Amanda, faces unexpected challenges, and may God strengthen them. There have been a number of changes in 